It's time for Matcha Talk. Assalamualaikum. So I am in my very comfy spot, also uh, in the new place, which one day you guys will see. Today is just a podcast, but Samati, are you in your comfy little spot? Yes, and in my comfiest clothes as well, actually. I have a really comfy, like I'm like not working comfy right now. <laughs> so <laughs> it is really very good. And actually, everyone, we have a really awesome episode for you today. And it is a new fun episode and we've never had guests before. So this is super exciting. But it is not like a regular guest episode because we have the Modern Skeptic Podcast guest with us, Malak and Mariam. And we got together over Instagram because we have a mutual love of books and reading books. And the Modern Skeptics on there have a bookgram in which they read a book every month and then they review it and give it a star rating. And they don't care what that feels like. It's true and brutal. <laughs> and I just love that. And so they approached us and they were like, let's read a book together. And we came up with a book, which was... Um, my past is a foreign country by Zeba Talhani. And so if you go up to their podcast uh, on Instagram, we're going to have a live discussion that's actually happening today. So you can join us over there. And over here, we're going to do some topics from the book. And we're going to go on matcha talk on it. We're just going to get personal and we're going to discuss those things. And I'm sure that you guys are going to find it relatable. So Malak and Mariam, welcome to matcha talk. Yay! <laughs> Hey everyone, we're so honored to be here. <laughs> Honestly, it's um we're so honored that we're your first guest on your podcast. Um I know Samia, you have been following our bookgram from your personal page Sunna Living and we love having your comments on our bookgrams and we love seeing what your thoughts on the books are and kind of just following along. It's always so fun. But yeah, so I'm Malak. I'm Mariam. And we are two of the co-hosts on the podcast, The Modern Skeptics. So we thought it was fun. We both love to read so much. We thought, why not in this COVID and pandemic time to kind of get together, choose a book every month and just let everybody read along, you know, have a good time and try to pass the time, I guess. A way to keep us connected. Too. Yeah. Yeah. And reading books is always something that people can just get together over. Mm -hmm. So tell us something about your podcast. Tell us who, what do you guys do? What is your podcast about? And all that good stuff. And links and all the hashtags and things. Okay, so um, <laughs> you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Modern Skeps. Um, we upload full-length episodes both on the podcast app on your phone and actually on YouTube. So subscribe to our YouTube channel. Give us a thumbs up. You can tune into all our episodes on YouTube. But I guess the really quick gist of The Modern Skeptics is we are four Young, I'd like to use the term young. <laughs> young, um, young. <laughs> young yeah. Muslim, Palestinian, American women trying to find our way just like everybody else, you know? And oftentimes we found that when we were tuning in on social media, when we were turning on the news, there was always, Muslims are always there. And it's always somebody else telling our narrative. And we always, we are the type of girls that we like to discuss everything. We have an opinion on everything. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. We come from different fields of education. We are, we have a doctor, we have a lawyer, we have a social worker, and inshallah, a future dentist. And basically what we do is we try to draw from our personal experiences and our opinions on everyday matters. You know, we just like to voice what we do. Um, 
we like to kind of give our take on solutions, on problems. And we really, our intention of putting this podcast together was that we wanted to learn from people and we wanted people to learn from us. So as we're growing up and we're becoming part of the workforce and we're getting our education and we're becoming older and juggling our responsibilities as Muslim, as women, as, you know, future spouses, as siblings, as daughters, how have we gotten to where we are so far and how do we hope to continue? So, yeah, it's also like, because we draw from our personal experiences and a lot of people don't talk about certain things that happen to them to know that there's comfort in, oh, this person mm-hmm. also experienced this. Mm-hmm. Oh, this person also thought about that in this certain light. So also to just shed light on certain topics that aren't naturally talked about or you, you don't usually think to talk about. Mm-hmm. Right. It's getting really into like cultural experiences as well, which is something that we'd really talked about in this book. So I think this is a great introduction into getting into those little topics. Um, So should we jump right in, Summer? Yeah, let's go. So one main thing that y'all have already actually touched on is being Muslim woman in this world that we're living in. So I have definitely had issues with that. I'm moving up in my company and dang, it's tough. <laughs> it is tough being a woman. And then it's tough being a Muslim woman too, right? Especially everything's on video. Everything's in person. Otherwise, you can't hide the scarf, hijab, you know, everyone knows who you are. So I've definitely had some uh, issues with that. And uh, one of the biggest themes in the books was in the book was feminism, you know, like how to navigate the world. So I wonder what kind of uh, experiences that you have had. Um, and maybe we can kind of go from there. So any particular um, struggles that you might have experienced in your life? Well, I know. I recently mentioned this on our podcast too, but I had this experience in law school where because I wear the scarf, one of my professors assumed I was an international student. So she would speak oh, no. to me as if like I didn't understand English naturally. And you always have this in my head going into a courtroom where are they going to stigmatize me based off my hijab? Is this, a, this is just an additional right. hurdle that I have to overcome versus trying to represent my client. So you've had, has that happened to you before? Right. Like, like has, has clients come up to you and said, like, come up to you with already a perception that you're going to approach the case a certain way? No, that hasn't happened. But it's more of, I mean, obviously, you don't know if the jury's going to be racist or biased against you because you don't speak to them directly. But it's always like a background thought mm-hmm. in your head. Like, are these people racist? And honestly, we have a, I have a little bit of privilege being in Chicago where they are more exposed to the Muslim community. We do have a thriving, like, presence here. So it isn't as bad as other communities that are more sheltered. You know, I really do feel that when you're talking about that little vibe in the back, like, I think that's just what we carry with us all the time. It's like wherever we go, we're just like this little, oh, yeah, I don't know how that person is perceiving me right now. Yeah. I agree. And I think um, especially as um, women that do wear hijab, it's just like you said, it's something that we kind of have to deal with every day. Right. So it's so easy for us to kind of just be like, I know I've had this conversation dozens of times with friends and with um, family members. And we always differ on the fact that people always say, well, hijab shouldn't be held accountable for portraying the image of Islam or, you know, we shouldn't be held to a different standard just because we wear hijab. Right. And although I 
can see where that argument stems from or can agree to that. I feel like it's very naive for us to think like you can go out in hijab and you can act a certain way or you can do certain things and people aren't just going to assume it comes from Islam. So mm. not only does it happen in our education or in our work, it literally happens when we're doing daily tasks, when we're going shopping, when we're going to parties, anything that you do and you happen to wear hijab, which I know this was something that the character in the book kind of struggled with. Like she had mentioned hijab multiple times and just other girls wearing hijab in the book. But it's just something that we do have to recognize and we do have to deal with every day. That's a really good point. I Yeah, I, sometimes I feel that I sometimes I want to own the other opinion where like, I just want to do what I want. You can't tell me. But yeah, the reality is that we do represent ourselves in a certain way. Mm -hmm. I think we were talking about it a little earlier, Samimaji, but I mean, from Florida, that's I really struggle with that a lot is like I have to represent Islam. I always have to be the epitome as best as I can. So because people are looking at me and that's what they're seeing. They're not seeing summer. They're seeing, oh, this is a Muslim woman. So moving up, I'm actually now in Washington and people here are different. They're not very open and honest as they are in Florida but that kind of undercurrent I mean is still there and regardless of if you're Muslim or not at the end of the day you're still a woman right so I was younger in Florida and I actually wasn't able to notice too much um, kind of where women stand down there I definitely saw you know what how women are or, or excuse me how Muslim women are seen but up here in Washington as I'm growing up and you know um seeing the business world a little bit oh it's definitely apparent so I mean it's like and the, and this was something in the book as well where women were restricted due to the rules of the society that they were in so now right now like I said I'm in Washington and that restriction is still here but kind of the both examples that I just stated where it was still in the West. I don't know how things are, uh, you know, around the world. And the book was, you know, it definitely mentioned that a little bit. It was a bit of an insight on that. So I'm curious about the cultures that you guys know. So we're from Pakistan, so we know a little bit about, you know, that subcontinent. What about you guys? You said you're from Palestine. What have you seen from there? And, you know, especially rules of society, some things that should technically be possible to do as a woman, as a Muslim woman. I definitely resonated with some of the things that she was saying, because I know she's she's um, the character in the book is Indian and she was writing from her cultural background. But I feel like funny enough that some of the ideologies and some of the expectations are just the same across the board. Right. So she was constantly talking about how. Her mom, <laughs> yeah. how she wanted to further her education and how her mom was always concerned with like, oh, how is that going to affect your marriage ability? You know, how are people going to think that you're moving away from home to get educated or, you know, those are things that I think our community has gotten significantly better in. But it's definitely something that we will continue to work on. Right. So we've made strides, but we still have ways to go in terms of allowing our girls to kind of fully flourish. But personally, alhamdulillah, I would have to say I'm pretty privileged in that aspect because my parents are very gung-ho on like education and being successful. So they're very pro. If you have to go out of school, out of state, like you go and you pursue, pursue your career. Like this is the point of your, in your life where you worry about your education, you worry about success. And then inshallah, the rest will follow. But I definitely have, I think, um, peers and I know girls that I've gone to high school with 
where their parents are kind of like, it's really not necessary or, you know, you can find education here. There's no need for you to have to continue your education further from home. I think we all share a very unique perspective because not only are we like a minority, but we also are a minority in America. So I feel like a lot of our perspectives, regardless of if I'm from Palestine or you're from Pakistan or from India, there's a lot of things that as a minority in America, we share, Mm -hmm. especially when it comes to familial ties, how there's a very different perspective in the American world versus minority culture world. I feel like as a minority, it's so much more of what is the family doing as a whole versus what I'm doing independently. Yeah, the one of the things also was the patriarchal thing in this book, right? And there was one phrase she said, which really stuck to me. And she was like, woman policing woman. And she described an instance where the whole, I forgot what exactly what it was, something similar to that she got like a wound or I think, yeah, she got a wound or something or from a heart spoon or something like that. And uh, her mom disciplined her or something. And then her dad came home and she kind of told on her mom. And then she mentioned the woman policing woman where we're always like making sure that the other woman is somehow not comfortable where she is. Like she's always on guard at all times. And I really related that. Like, I think it is a lot over here, like in, in, in our Pakistani culture, where there's a lot of that. It's like, oh, or we can see that in the hijabi culture as well. A, a person is not wearing hijab a certain way. And then they're like, oh, you know, that's not okay. You're not Muslim enough. You're not woman enough. You're not hijabi enough. So tell us a little bit about like your experiences with that. Have you seen anything when it comes to your culture or your experiences? I definitely think that you always have people that will go around and tell you what you're doing isn't enough, right? Whether it be your religiosity, whether it be you being a woman, a mother, a sister, a daughter, you know, there's, you'll never make everybody happy. And that's just the bottom line. And I'd like to say that I don't think we see it um, so much anymore. Like, I feel like as the generations continue to live in America, maybe we saw that more with like first generation, which I felt like, was the character in the book she was writing about the 70s the 80s so she was more um first generation even though she's still in she was still in india and germany like she was in other countries but for her it was a lot of first experiences and she was the first daughter so she was going through a lot of experiences that i felt like i think my mom would resonate with like things that the culture that she was growing up in the expectations that she was growing up with they were very i would compare it to like old arab mentality right so um just the expectation and the getting married really young and maybe education isn't necessarily at the forefront i felt like that was something that the older generation struggled a little more with i honestly can't say i've personally struggled with that but i i've seen firsthand where people say oh you're not doing this right so why are you bother doing it at all you know like and maybe not to me directly but to friends or to people that I've been with in public at the massage, like your shirt maybe is too short. How are you wearing that in the masjid? Like, you know, have some, be conservative, be wary of where you are. No, going to your point with the woman policing woman, I just find it very interesting how when they are going to complain, they complain to like, they know the power dynamic that works and then use it to their advantage to complain about something. For instance, like you mentioned, oh, she's seen her mother doing something that, she didn't like, so she complained to the father, like, mm-hmm. to try and reprimand in some sort of way or that there's consequences for their actions. And that's really disappointing to see. And I feel like a lot of people that 
are older now or as children i don't think you realize the pressure that you put on a marriage early on by doing those actions because i definitely remember like me going and complaining to like my mom about my dad or my dad about my mom as a child not realizing mm. like what the ripple would happen effect or, yeah what would be the cause of it but just knowing oh mom uh dad did this or dad mom did this ha 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 like thinking it's funny but not really realizing that it's not i'm actually really refreshed by that because you you both are mentioning that that is something that was happening back then but like i know people right now who are like living that and i mean they happen to be from from our background and the south asian background i'm not sure how that works out like yeah there is an emphasis on education but i still feel that there's that expectations to hold them back you know like how she mentions in that book where you know the woman in saudi arabia in this case they couldn't do certain jobs because they weren't just not able to get that education you know that's not a place they could go to and i feel like even though like we're in the west here and like i've been growing up and living here for 20 something years there are people here who still have the same things and that really frustrates me because i'm like i thought we we're over this so i was reading this book and i'm like wow like this is happening now still i agree and actually something that you've kind of made me um remember is also sometimes like you mentioned although we may be further in encouraging education and pushing girls to be educated and to be independent there's always that idea also you may be offered education or you may be encouraged to be educated but you're also expected to withhold your chores at home and to be a good wife and to be a dutiful daughter and to be still like you're it's not so much as in like we're trading it's like okay fine you want to get educated this is more to your plate like you can get educated and won't and we're encouraging education but just keep in mind that your expectations as a good wife as a good daughter as a good mother like they're still your priority and they should they're still at the forefront and maybe at the expense of your education. It sounds like what you're saying is, and I relate to this 100%, is that, yes, you can educate yourself, but don't forget you're going to get married and have your own mm -hmm. place later on. Yeah. That's your that's your goal. Mm -hmm. That's who you're going to mm -hmm. be. So educate yourself and have fun while you can, sure. Yeah. But I think also within ourselves, we like want to be a good mom and we want to be a good uh -huh. wife, and we, but we also want to get our education. So it's always this constant balancing, balancing act that not only society puts on us, but I think we put in ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think that's, mm -hmm. a, that's a result of the societal expectations for women in general. And that has been the case here in the West too, where they were like, oh, you know, wearing your proper perfect dress while doing your laundry, like those images <laughs> that we saw from like babies or something, right? It's, it's quite something. So the other thing that they talked about, y'all just touched on that, was marriage. Marriage was a huge deal. It was like an overarching thing where they kept on telling her, oh my God, you need to get married. How are you going to get married with your hair loss? How are you going to get married with this? And I actually asked a friend. Um, she's, she's a mixture of Indian and Pakistani background. And I was like, hey, this one was almost oppressive like i like i haven't seen anything like this like i know we have a pressure on getting married but i felt the character the person in this book like she had like this i don't know she just felt like like what is it called like buried by that so like did you how is it in yours like did you find that it was okay yeah i've heard this before or was just like too much no i've definitely heard that before a marriage is always something that's like <laughs> over everybody's mind and it's like when is it gonna happen when are you gonna do it 
I think she experienced it a little more because she was still back home, what we consider back home in the Western world, you know? So, I think the pressure, though, is here, too. I, I do. don't think uh, it's different just because I think the we're in different countries. I think the pressure of marriage and by a certain age is definitely still instilled in our communities today, whether it be Arab culture or not. Like, I mean, we hear it from the girls around us our age. You know, we're right in that age in our early to mid-20s. So... We're just around that age where people are starting to ask, you know, marriage, what are your thoughts on marriage? When do you plan on getting married? But I felt like hers was overwhelmingly because her whole community also, like from what I learned from the book in the Indian community, you can pay people to set you up. Like there between the rishtas, the marriage proposals, like families get involved and you can get third parties involved. Like out of cultures, you don't really hire a matrimony or like a matchmaker to find you a spouse if you've gotten to that point so like reading that was really interesting to me because it's like this is really emphasized in her culture and she was struggling with trying to um get educated and get married and then the constant reminder that oh my god because of the problem she was having with her hair she's never gonna find the perfect guy or she'll never be worthy in the community's eyes of having a perfect guy from that book was the mom said you should just accept him because Mm -hmm. you have hair loss anyway like this is the best you're gonna get with what you are Mm -hmm. and then she mentions how much that hurt her and how awful that guy was right like he was quite uh, arrogant yeah it's like this is the best you're gonna get so you should be happy and you always kind of have that too here like okay well this person proposed to me or wants to get to know me for marriage should i say no because he doesn't meet all my standards and then you have am i being too picky Am I thinking about this? Mm-hmm. Is he the only one that's going to ask? So I should take that into account. So you have that fear also playing in your head. Kind yeah, of. No, it's so unfortunate that I understand what you're saying because I've seen it in the Pakistani dramas and things. I know so much you just have a thing against them. And, you know, maybe <laughs> you're right. You know? I do. But this is something that they say, especially if um, there's something wrong in quotation marks with the woman uh, is kind of like, well, just take whatever's offered to you. Beggars can't be choosers. You know, yeah, sure. He has three kids that are your age, but <laughs> that's fine. This is the only choice you have uh-huh. to get married, which is your end goal and purpose in life. So just deal with it. And that's so unfortunate that even while we're not in that society still, we kind of still are because those are the values that our parents grew up with and they are instilling in us which up to a point is fine i i think you guys mentioned a little bit earlier if we can backtrack just a little bit about parents and immigrants so for example our parents um or or parents in general they struggle with their own identity you know when they're immigrants they have kind of their home culture like you said and then kids struggle too because at home they have a different culture but they go outside in the western world right or they go to school and everybody's talking about different things and eating different food and all of that but and and then in the book the mom is kind of you know following that same cultural crisis or identity crisis she doesn't really quite know um you know what's going on with that and then for us personally like our parents as well were 
Pakistani and that's kind of who they are. My mom, she, our mom, she never learned English she, to this day. Lived here for 20 years, didn't learn a lick of English and she's fine with that. She was happy with that. She chose to do that. Um, but the culture that we grew up with was the same. So today I still, my mom asks me, when are you getting married? I'm like, ma, I don't know. <laughs> it's, not, it's not on my to-do list, but it's on hers. You know, it's on hers. So she grew up with that and she's trying to instill that in us which is fine. But I think the negative things, I just wish some of those negative things or the overbearing things, values, um, were kind of taken um, taken away or, or they weren't instilled or they weren't focused on as much as they are. And that's why... You have to fight against that. Like I, I got married to a person outside of our culture, and that was like a six-year battle. You know, like like you could you could label it as a battle if you want. And it is so weird because every time someone hears about that, they just yeah, just nod. You know, oh yeah, I, I totally get you. And I'm like, mm-hmm. why is everyone still nodding about this? completely normal acceptable thing where you just like finding someone outside of your culture and then they're like sympathizing oh i can totally understand how hard that is for you so i think in order to break that you literally have to fight it like it literally and, and in the book that she fought it she was like no i'm going to go study you know i'm going to do the, what i want to do so you have to like just unfortunately it is a battle and i think that's the only way to get out of that yeah i know that you know like you had mentioned our parents do come. So personally, my mom was born and raised here. So half of my parental um, team, you know, my mom, she's here. She studied here. She speaks perfect English. Um, but my father was raised in Kuwait. And then he was here. He came here at a very young age. He's lived in America longer than he hasn't lived in America. Right. But there are still those kind of ideologies you had to lose, I guess. Or to find a common ground. Like coming to America, you cannot, it's impossible to live exactly the way you live back home. It's just not going to happen. And they originally came here to have better opportunities for themselves and for their children. So as our parents fight, have their own internal fights, like what should I be pushing on my children? What should I let go of in order to allow my children to have a better future? There's also us like having our own internal battles where we're like, what should we be holding on to and what should we be pursuing? And there was actually a quote in the book where she was saying, oh, I'm too Muslim in India, but I'm too brown in like Britain or Germany, where she's like, I never quite fit in anywhere. And I think that resonates with us a lot, too, because, I mean, besides the whole hijab, Palestinian, I'm personally a tanner color, like minorities stick out in a crowd. So when we're back home, everybody knows that we're American. And when we're here, everybody knows that we're not American, quote unquote. Like we don't belong here. Our ancestors aren't from here. So I think that's something that is also across the board. You'll never feel like you fit in anywhere 100 percent as a minority. Yeah, we were talking about that just yesterday, um, yeah, summer, because we were like, "Hey, what would we like to go visit back home, like, like you know, Pakistan and whatever." And I was like, uh, you know, the idea is, or the expectation is that everyone speaks the same language, we all eat the same foods, and we'll be fine. But, but we're not. We're going to be outsiders because. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> and I think maybe You're there's a wisdom behind that. I think maybe there is something that's good behind it. Um, maybe you know. Maybe this is an opportunity for us to not make this world a home at the end of the day, you know, maybe just not get too comfortable anyway, just be like, and even even within our own circles, sometimes we stick out. 
um, when I went back to Pakistan about, that was like, I don't know, 15 years ago or something like that, um, uh, I was the only one who was wearing a hijab at that time. My hijab wasn't proper. Uh, I was just starting up. And, you know, and I just remember people just attacking me for it. You know, they're like, you don't have to wear the hijab. We're just cousins. You can just take it off, whatever. And I was like, you know, I get all this negativity here. Like, you know, you get that here. But I was like, why am I getting it there? Why do I need to defend my choice to wear hijab there? So it's that, like, you don't really, there's no leg that you can totally stand on. And I find, like, there's some spiritual lessons to be taken from that. That's why I say a lot of the time when it comes to comparing your ancestral mentality to minority in America's mentality, I feel like we, even though we have different backgrounds, and like ethnic-wise, yeah, ethnic-wise, we have so much shared experiences and similarities because mm-hmm. we know how different we are. Yeah. <laughs> yes. We also share yes. the same like American and trying to balance that. So we understand our own struggles uh-huh. that we have. I have a funny story. I actually went to Palestine a couple years ago and I didn't realize how different we do things between here and there. Like, mm-hmm. I just never realized the differences until I actually went there, or even just the difference in my Arabic. Like I think my Arabic sounded weird, but I went there. There, please don't <laughs> don't chat. You have an accent. Yeah, walk peacefully. You have chat. Even the way you wrap your scarf. Oh my gosh. Is so oh different. My God. Or like the clothing style uh. choices. Like you don't realize there are very different things when you cross over there. Country. Yeah. Oh, like, I can imagine it. I don't think I experienced it, but I can imagine it. Like, you can stand out. Oh, yeah, this is an American coming mm-hmm. in. Yeah. <laughs> like, your American dialect and speaking think... Arabic, the way you put your scarf, the way, the shoes that you have. Like, there's just so many differences. Because those shoes aren't popular in Palestine. So, like, I don't know why you're wearing them. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like, you have to wear knockoff Gucci. Why aren't you? Come on now. Like, <laughs> hello. <laughs> you're like, but these are real. <laughs> Now, I think one thing that we can do and a lesson learned from the book, perhaps, is kind of making sure that we don't take that to our kids. You know, our parents took it on us. We we learned that from them. And I think we can just filter it and make sure it doesn't go on to the next generation, those kinds of negative it's not all about fashion, you know, or it's not all about you're, you're a woman, you have to get um xyz skill set and this is what you have to do in the future or if you're a man this is what you have to do xyz in the future just kind of make sure that you know um be that that we're generous to our own parents because one day we're gonna be in the same shoes where our kids are kind of like mom told me to do this and she (laughs) you know pushed this kind of value on me i wish she never did that you know you know i I actually admire that about Zeba because even though she had all this stuff like she did with her parents, like she still dedicated the books to her parents. And she's like, oh, you know, she has a good relationship with them. And I felt like she's, I don't know if she used the word forgiveness or not, but I felt like she's forgiven that little, you know, distance that she had between her and her mom. This She still mentions that she's not emotional. I think it was an interview or a podcast interview I heard of her later. And she was like, you know, there's still that distance. So she doesn't talk to me as much. Like she mentioned in that book a few times. But then, I don't know, I felt like she's so good with that. Like sometimes I feel, I'm like, oh my God, I kind of still have a little bit of like, you know, like feelings of annoyances towards 
what my parents do or have done because of their background. But she, I think she just got over it. And I just really admire that. I think there is some things, though, I did kind of disagree with her yeah. in the book a little bit. Well, <laughs> not that I thought she should have been more appreciative in a certain sense, like when her father went to Germany with her for the first time or when he went with her to her new new school for the first time. She's like, man, I wish I was more independent and they didn't come with me. Like you're kind of looking at it negatively because they love you so much and they're, you're going to a new country, experiencing a new thing. And for them, it's such an odd element. You know, because their safety is one of their biggest concerns. Like, mm-hmm. as a parent, you want your kids to stay safe. So imagine having to send them to a different country completely where you have no ties, where you can't save them, essentially, if something happens. That's hard. So the fact that you're going to complain for, like, a page about how your dad took you to this new country, like, I'm not going to agree with you there. But wasn't that excessive, though? Like, calling every 10 minutes? Like, what was that deal? There was one scene in the oh, store. Oh, no, no. That's for sure. <laughs> okay. Yeah. There, no, there was where it's like, okay, Dad, I'm out. Why do you really have to call me for the 20th time? But I also, I wish you would have took it as he loves me so much that he's checking on me. I think Even in, though it's annoying. I think in hindsight, she realized, like, you know, there, this was love. This was admiration. This was nervousness, anxiousness. But I also agree with Mariam. I think there were some elements of the book where um, I do, I kind of disagree with, or I would, I specifically enjoy those parts in life, right? So, of course, there are negatives. There are, I don't want to say negatives. There are differences in opinion when we have with our parents, you know, we're grown up in a different society. We have different expectations. But I do think that there is a beauty and an importance in a lot of the values that her parents were showing and in culture, Right. So there are a lot of things that growing up were like, why do we have to do this? This doesn't make any sense. And then in hindsight, we appreciate those values. And those are things that I hope I can um, instill in my children. And for some people, it's still, oh, that's such a cultural or such a minority way of thinking of things like such a back home way of thinking. But at the same time, there's beauty and importance in the values that our parents did bring to America with them, you know, and that's that goes into the whole. I think identity crisis of trying to figure out what to keep and what not to keep. But there were a few instances where I was also like, you know, your parents are traveling around the world trying to find a cure for this hair loss. And I know it weighed so heavily on her and she hated recognizing it because she felt like every time she would get over it, reminding her of her hair loss made her feel inferior, made her seem inferior. But at the same time, it was like your parents are only constantly reminding you of it because they are trying so hard to make sure like you never feel inferior or you yourself never feel um, like you're not enough in a group, in a crowd, you know? I don't know how I feel about that statement because, (laughs) okay, let's talk about that hair loss thing because that was one of her really big things. And, you know, I mean, I felt like she never got, you know, accepted for that by her parents and she struggled and suffered so much because of that. And she's like going through all these treatments that her parents are paying for. It's expensive and stuff, but she's the one who's getting injections on her heads and getting all of those things. And if her parents had only said, and one time she went to the doctor and she was like, I didn't think the doctor even knew what they were talking about, you know? And so it's like, if, if the parents had given her that, Hey, you know what? you're still loved, you're still beautiful. And she remembers that one instance where the mother said that to her and she just remembers it like that. But it just was like such a heavy thing on her. And I felt like if her parents had supported her through that and made her feel okay just as is, I think her suffering would be less. Yeah, I mean, I can understand where you're coming from with that. But 
just when I guess when I was reading, I mean, it's her experiences, and obviously we'll never feel the way she felt or suffer through the same, not suffer, go through the same experiences that she went through 100%. But I just felt like when I was reading it, I was just like, like, I understand where she's coming from, and she's struggling, and she's just had enough. But at the same time, we are... We are an extension of our parents in a way. So her parents were just, I felt like they were just trying so hard because they wanted her to be so happy. And maybe for them, they thought that every time she thought of her hair loss, that she felt bad about it. You know, like they were trying to do everything in their power. They were calling relatives. They were crossing countries. They just wanted to do anything that they could to make sure that they felt like they did all that they could you know like they were trying to make strides i think something that would merge the two ideas into one is literally having the parents communicate mm-hmm. with the child and the child i feel like in the book they had yes. a very hard time with communicating yeah. one their love with one another and their affection with one another which i also think is something that people still struggle with today more culturally and showing vulnerability towards one another but i think her parents it seemed we're doing it out of love and we're doing the best that they could to put her in the best position of life because mm-hmm. they didn't want her to settle for any guy and thought that if she had hair loss, she would have. To, yeah. You know, I feel like if it, they just communicated with each other, which is a problem a lot of people still have. Yeah. That it would have merged both of their feelings into one and she would have felt supported and she would have felt love mm-hmm. and they would have felt like they're, they're doing good for her. Yeah. Because I felt like if her parents, didn't love her or didn't want to do the most they could do they wouldn't have allowed her to further her education in so many different great experiences like even at that point where she wanted to um i believe it was studying in germany she wanted to pursue her last quarter in germany and her dad's like no and then she never had that relationship with her mom but her mom was the one that called her and was like do not say no to the position like i'll work on your dad you know like they did have faith in her they just i guess wanted her to have the best of everything and yeah that I guess that just came off as, you know, her not feeling like she was adequate enough in their eyes, or at least in her mother's eyes. I know that was a recurring subject. Yeah, I remember somewhere where she was she was putting makeup on her on her bald spots. And she would mention that, oh, yeah, I'm doing this because I don't want to see my mother cry every time she sees me. You know, and I just like imagine how how that felt. Mm-hmm. You know? But she also said she did it when she went to school because she felt insecure about it. Yeah, and then she would wear a bandana and stuff and all those kind of things. And and her relatives were really rude about that, like, all the time. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there was all of that there. But I but I really do feel like, you know, if you get that, and, and communication, again, like, that's the whole thing. And I, they probably did support her and they loved her, but it just didn't come across that way. When she's writing it, it come across as something, oh, I really struggle in accepting that about myself. Because no one around her who loved her seemed like they accepted it, too. Yeah. You know, I couldn't appreciate, though, in the book where she was writing that as she grew up and as she kind of distanced herself from the people that were constantly she felt like were um, constantly limiting her, that she began to kind of um, like she isolated the idea of what societal beauty standards are and what actual beauty means. So she was able mm-hmm. to with her hair loss and with everything that she went through, she when she distanced herself, distanced herself, she was able to see the beauty in every other part of her being, beside the physical aspect, like the way she was, um, the relationships that she built and her personality and her intelligence. Like I did appreciate that about the book. I feel like a lot of girls do that too, where mm-hmm. if they're like they don't feel like they're pretty, they'll try and harp up 
other aspects of themselves. Mm-hmm. So we're like, okay, well, I don't have the beauty aspect naturally, so I'm going to be funny. I'm going to be so smart. I'm going to be so determined. Like, they feel like they have to be perfect in another sense if they're not naturally beautiful, quote-unquote. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's like a woman experience. Y'all are touching on a subject where we were briefly talking about this, that... um so you know the hair loss was a huge thing in 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 the book and women today are just bombarded with beauty standards of all the kinds and all the sorts but one thing i had trouble kind of relating to was the physical insecurity aspect oddly enough because it's something that for example i know women have issues or i shouldn't say issues but they have struggles with putting on the hijab that was something for me i i was like okay let's do it like it wasn't that big of a deal um i was just you know let's go for it and as far as having any other physical insecurities i'm like yeah i'm not no supermodel and that's okay like i'm kind of very just blase about it all it's just something i couldn't quite understand how People let their physical insecurities rule so much of their life. And it's not to say, for example, in my youth, I had a lot of acne on my face. But I wore the hijab and I was like, hey, my face is out there because I have that bigger priority, you know, and it wasn't that big of a deal for me. So that's something I just personally could not relate to was having letting physical insecurities rule so much of my life of my emotions of my relationship with for example parents or anyone else or my friends or anything if anyone mentioned anything about my physical anything i was just like yeah okay whatever you know sometimes it was really funny i'm like that's a good burn but sometimes (laughs) it's like oh it got to me for like an hour and then i was like yeah all right i mean whatever move on you know so i i don't know maybe that's just me I think so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think that's just your personality. <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> but uh, because that's like a psychological thing, right? Like that's just how you experience the world around you and that doesn't affect you. Like I know I did. Like, you know, when I gained all that weight a long time ago, that really affected me. And now I'm like over on that part again and I'm like ah, oh, you know like remembering how that made me feel. But I'm just like constantly like, you know, telling myself like that's not that's not what I want to tell myself. That's what others want to tell to me. And I don't want to listen to that, you know? So I feel like that's a struggle. I think, though, um, someone has a point to, like, a certain extent. Like, I can understand where, as hijabis, there are certain quotas we'll probably never meet. And it's just the way things are, right? So in the aspect of um, wearing makeup, sure, I wear makeup every day. I don't pack it on but I do wear it and I do enjoy it but in terms of going out in shorts and short skirts and tank tops or crop tops like I know that's a beauty standard I'll never experience as a hijabi and that's just something I'm okay with and I'll have to live with you know like you live and you learn from it but um yeah I think a lot of people go through insecurities about mm-hmm. their looking yeah they can be about anything like you're feel so great in the day and you look in the mirror and you have this huge zit that came out of nowhere and you're like, okay, how do I cover Dang this it. up? <laughs> like, do I really need to go to the grocery store? Can I, can I wait a day? So it's always running through the back of your head just because you know how heavily society values it. So you, you don't want to go in like being not weak in a sense, but having something against you before you even 
have chance. any words yeah coming out of your mouth or someone goes oh she's ugly or there is something called pretty privilege and i totally yeah. believe in pretty privilege 100 well i've seen yeah. i've witnessed people that are um, extremely good looking get privileged based off of their good looks there are studies about it like they get interviewed more often they get accepted with a job more often you know i think this is the time where i really feel hijab helped me like, I think hijab just put things into perspective. It's like, who cares, you know? Like, uh, makeup, no makeup. Or, you know, tight clothes, no tight clothes. Oh my god, this dress is beautiful, whatever. But not hijab friendly, so who cares about that? So I feel like it really puts things into perspective. And as a hijabi, I just, I love hijabi life. I think it's great. Honestly, I, I feel like hijab had a little of an opposite effect on me. Like, I feel mm-hmm. like as a hijabi, I put in a little extra effort. Because I want them to associate hijab with you know cleanliness with looking good with um like i just when you see hijab i don't want people to think oh she's like sloppy and that's just personally like well how i feel because like we had mentioned earlier hijab when people see hijab they already have an idea of who you are how you're gonna be what you prioritize what you don't prioritize so i just feel like when i do um choose clothing of course i want to please allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and at the same time i want to be a part of society like i want them to see clothing i want them to associate hijabis with looking good in modest clothing with you know you're always clean you're hygienic like just associate it with a really positive image yeah you're describing the sunnah though right like that's just how we're supposed to be we're not supposed to be sloppy and smelling bad mm-hmm. Right? So in a way, you're like on point, mashallah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I'm far from perfect. <laughs> but... Well, when it comes from that, yeah. like, I, and I, I think that's that's really true. And it's all, not only about how we present ourselves in the end. Like, yeah, we care about and we, what other people think. But we also have to live in a way that is pleasing to Allah and following the sunnah is part of it. And so that really helps. Mm-hmm. I also liked in the story how um, Ziva made sure to mention that there are a lot of things that you grow up with a lot of um cultural stories that you hear or cultural practices that you hear that people have a tendency of making seem islamic and then when she got Mm. to that age where she was actually studying islam she's like this is not this doesn't this is not one and one like these do not align what my what god says what allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in islam is significantly better and makes a lot more sense than some of the things that you grow up hearing so I thought that was pretty cool. There are so many things in Pakistan <laughs> that people say, and you're just, it's mind boggling, honestly, when you are just hearing that. And it's like, no, do, do you remember do something? We have this word um, in Arabi, it's called the ayam, which essentially means like oh, shameful or whatever. But we use it, a lot of people <laughs> use it synonymously with haram. So, oh, you can't do that. It's ayam. Or and it's, if they met haram. Or, no, you can't do that. That's haram. And in reality, they met ayam. Like... Yeah, I do notice in the Arab culture, the haram word is a lot more common. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> probably. Yeah. yeah, like, it's used kind of very loosely. Yeah, I don't. Do we have anything like I that? Mean, we have we we have the actual word, but it's not used like that in context. Like we use sometimes the word haya, right? I think haya is sometimes used that way. Uh, like they say, haya. you know, you should have sharmo haya. You know, oh, you should be you should be a little bit more modest or whatever. Like, and I think like yeah. it's taken to that extreme where haya means just lock yourself in a room rather than, <laughs> you know, like the actual meaning of it in an Islamic perspective. Yeah, definitely. Well, that was. 
Yeah, I feel like so much. I feel like there was something we had talked about before where it was it was something and it was seemed religious in in Pakistan, but when we saw it from an objective point of view, we realized that that was just full on. That was all culture, and it was it was actually really bad in hindsight. It was really you know against women in that sense but it was something everyone kind of said and it was just like yeah i mean that's that's how it is that's just the reality what is yeah i don't remember i mean i can we... think of like a thousand things honestly <laughs> like, which one are you referring to i don't know which one i remember we were talking about a little while ago but i mean one of the thousand you know go on like if you can think you of know one. like what something that and this is really interesting because i'm able to see that with um uh, with my husband right because he's a convert and he's outside of our culture and sometimes he will be like see some muslim countries or some some muslims do some things and he'll be like that doesn't make sense like he will literally be like that just doesn't make sense like for him he's able to recognize that uh you know like the one thing i remember it was a pakistani drama and i was like oh my god it has subtitles i want hamza to watch it with me like i was really excited about it uh i could not get past like the first episode i couldn't do it (laughs) Uh, and then in the lady just shows up and she's not like in a hijab or like, you know, any any sort of a modest way that you expect. And he was like, oh, what's going on? You know, he's like, I thought and I'm like, OK, you have issues. Do you think all the Muslim countries follow Islam perfectly <laughs> and women wear hijab because they want to It's a choice? Okay? <laughs> but in the end, he was able to recognize and sometimes we're not. And I think he's really helped me with that. He's like, well, that doesn't make sense. And now in the position that we're in in our house, we can make a choice. Like, okay, do we want to follow this cultural practice or we don't want to do it? And I feel like so free to say, oh, yeah, we don't have to because I don't have to answer to anybody. Like, he's not expected to do it. So that has been really nice to be able to recognize and be like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. I mean, there was one thing when you were talking about when you visited Pakistan and, you know, you were starting with the hijab and things. One thing definitely was kind of, uh, yeah, you don't wear the hijab at home. doesn't matter who's at home. Like, could be your male cousins. That's fine. But you're at home. You don't wear the hijab. What are you doing? And that was kind of their understanding of Islam. And it's like, bro, like, you need to read about that. (laughs) Yeah. There was a time I was sleeping. I was sleeping. And this person, he was a male, just walked in and just like attempted to talk to me. And I was like, oh, my God, I covered my my face. And I was like, just and, I, and they were leaving that that was going to be the last conversation. I was like, yeah, OK, assalamualaikum alafiz, like leave, you know, like this is inappropriate. <laughs> yeah. I'm sleeping here. Oh, that was just something but else. For them, that's Islam, yeah. apparently. I don't I don't I don't know. Do you all have Shocking. anything in your culture like that where it, or yeah, like it's in your culture, but people think it's Islam, but like, no, it's not. Or people, I think people have this perspective that, like you were mentioning earlier, just because it's a Muslim country or a majority Muslim country means that they follow Islam perfectly. Mm-hmm. And that's not the case whatsoever. I remember when we used to go, and I'm like, okay, we have to get up to pray. They're like, oh, ha, ha, you're so religious. You're so religious for Oh, my God. What are you doing? And I'm like, you, we have to get up and pray Fajr. <laughs> we just have to. Or like you're getting too extreme. Yeah, or like assalamu alaikum instead of like, like salam or like use the full word they're like whoa okay trying to flex on that (laughs) exactly and i'm like i don't understand i'm not computing (laughs) i think even um going like women going to masajid when we had visited jordan i don't think it was like the masses of women didn't go to the masajid even i think it was the time of eid and we're like yeah we're gonna go to the masjid in the morning and pray and they're like like we went and it wasn't like there was a lot more women here, yeah, that went to, 
Salat al-Eid at the masjid than there was there. And we're kind of like, really? Like, you guys have the Adhan going all day and, like, you guys don't yeah. go to but the masjid? it follows the, the line where because it's not massively educated here in America, we have to go out and seek that knowledge ourselves. And because we get to seek that knowledge and it's not, like, we have IID, it's not, like, ingrained in what we know. Mm-hmm. That we get to experience Islam on a different level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we're able to seek that out. I had a similar experience when we went there. It really was an Eid al-Adha at that time. And um, people are preparing for it and whatever. And I just didn't feel part of the Eid because women don't go to the masjid. It wasn't even a thing. Oh, yeah, they will go. And I was. I remember sitting, I was eating oranges. And I was like, oh, that's not a strange Eid to have in a Muslim country, right? Yeah. 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 I just feel like because sad. we don't have it, we go out and look for it a lot more. And mm-hmm. that brings up, okay, we know what's culture and we know what's religion. And we can see where they blend in more. And we were grateful enough where we attended a private Islamic school growing yeah. up. So a lot of times the information was brought directly to us. And then we were able to kind of ask questions as we went. So Alhamdulillah, that experience has definitely shaped us into who we are today and our access to Islam. It's significantly different than even kids that we've grown up with that maybe have gone to to public school, you know, or have gone kids from other countries. It's definitely gave us different experiences and different access to Islam. I did disagree with something that she said in the book, though. What? <laughs> I just remember this one line sticking out to me and not just saying right <laughs> at all. Because she was saying how... Islam is all about interpretation. So you open the Quran and like you interpret oh. it as you will. And I'm like, ah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there were some instances where I'm like, uh, not really practicing mentality was coming out yeah. from her experience. But I still appreciated her Muslimness. Yeah, yeah. no, definitely. And, and so like everybody's still growing on their Islamic journey. But I always have a problem when you say something definitively. Like Islam yeah. is this. Like you, you better make sure Islam is what you're saying it is if you're yeah. gonna say Islam mm-hmm. is that. Yeah. So she's like, Islam is all about interpretation. You open the Quran and you take from it what you want. And I'm like, I don't think. Yeah, that's not right. That's yeah. not it. No, that's what I was saying. I remember uh, I was watching a video somewhere on YouTube and this lady's like, oh, you know, she used to wear a hijab and then she's like, I studied, I did my research, I went online and I learned that I don't have to wear it, so I took it off and I'm okay with it. I'm like, all right, <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's your interpretation, right? Like, that's the danger about this all. It's like, on the one hand, it's good that there are Muslims writing books and are present in the book world. But on the other hand, like, are you sure you want to be making all these statements, you know, without really being 100% sure or making a sheikh read it first, being like, hey, can you check this? Yeah. I don't know. It's like a good and bad. But I mean, I'm coming up for this book, things- though. Where you're honest with yourself, where you're like, okay, this probably isn't the most Islamic thing, but like, I'm doing it right now and I should fix this. It's different than saying, mm-hmm. no, Islam allows alcohol. No, like, you're choosing <laughs> to do it and you're wrong, but mm-hmm. that doesn't mean Islam allows it. Like, don't try and ease your guilt by saying that, right. like, Islam allows that certain thing, because I don't like that. That doesn't sit right with me. Mm-hmm. But I also, yeah. everybody's on their own journey in Islam. And if you want to say that's your journey at this point is to, not wear hijab, that's different from saying Islam doesn't allow hijab. Right. Mm-hmm. Or does it I agree on that completely. It? Yeah, because I think we can never ever fall true to the Islamic standards. And we should be able to, you know, be able to say that. Be like, I know I'm failing at it, but I know what the reality is at the same time. Yeah. 
exactly. Well, I think, you know, this was a wonderful conversation, alhamdulillah. Um, and uh, look forward to the Instagram for the Modern Scaffs to do the discussion of this book where I'm sure Mariam is going to have more disagreement. I can just feel it coming. It's going to happen. And I'm so grateful that you guys were able to come and join us for our podcast episode today. Thank you very much for stopping by and chatting with us. Thank you so much for having us. It's yes. such a great time. Yes, we hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed recording. Summer, any closing remarks? No, I think that was fun. And I I just, I just want to say the name of the book again. Uh, it was, sorry, what was the name? My Past is... My past is a foreign country. There we go. My past is a foreign country. I, there are a lot of themes in this book that a lot of people can can relate to, I think. So just a shout out again to the book itself. Just I think it's a good read. So thank you for the Modern Skeps for joining us on this podcast. It was a lot of fun. And uh, I think I would love to hear from our viewers. What did you guys think? I thought it was a really fun uh, podcast, a little different from what we usually do, having guests and talking about a book. Okay, so hashtag matcha talk, leave a review, say salams. There are so many ways for you to get in contact with us. So, you know, Instagram, wherever you get your podcast, on sunaliving.com. You know, there's so many ways. So communicate with us. Let us know what you thought. Yeah, don't forget to hop on over on their Bottom Scaps Instagram where you can see the discussion taking place. Uh, I will be over there on live with them and we'll discuss this book. And uh, we're actually going to be, just a little side note, we're going to be uploading all of our audios on YouTube as well. So it will not be like a YouTube, uh, like a video podcast. It will just be an audio podcast episode. So for all the YouTube people, I know you all were like, hey, what about us? We got you. Inshallah, we're going to be putting the audios there as well. So you can follow us on YouTube, on Instagram, on Facebook and all the good stuff and leave a review on you or not a review comment on youtube too so so many ways again just let us know what y'all thought so on that note thank you very much for having matcha with us today y'all until next time inshallah assalamualaikum, assalamualaikum.